Luke chapter 16. We're going to actually be in a lot of different texts this morning uh, for this message uh, that um, I'm going to preach. And it's not a message that I preach often. Um, it's not a message that's fun to preach. Um, uh, I was asked yesterday what I was preaching on, and I just said, um, let's just say it's the closest to hellfire and brimstone as you'll probably ever get from me. And um, it, it's, just, it's just not a popular sermon to preach, but it's one that needs to be preached. Um, a few years back, I, and I, you've heard me talk about this before, I'm sure, but I heard an interview with a man named Penn Gillette. Some of you may know who that is. That's Penn from the group Penn and Teller, um, if you've ever seen them on TV. But Penn Gillette is a known atheist, um, and he's a vocal atheist. He, he doesn't believe in God. Um, but he was in this interview, and he was talking about different experiences that he had had with Christians who had come up. Some of them had um, come up and tried to witness to him using words. Some had come up and um, did witnessing that wouldn't be considered Christ-like at all. And he's talking about some of those experiences. And, and he was talking about this experience with this gentleman who just simply comes up and hands him a Bible and gives him scripture. And he made a statement when he was saying, talking about this experience that I found to be very profound. And I want to share it with you. In this statement, he, he, he talks about how he believes in Christian proselytizing. Now, that's a big word. We don't hear it much anymore. But proselytizing is where you try to convince people of your religious beliefs, and you try to get them to join your view. That's proselytizing. And, and he said that he believes in Christian proselytizing. As a matter of fact, his exact words were this in talking about this. He said, If you saw a kid standing in the road with a truck coming towards him, wouldn't you tell him to move? Likewise, if you believe in a quote, hell, as described in the Bible, wouldn't you be wanting to warn everyone you know about it? I mean, how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them? I want you to think about that last statement. If you believe in Scripture, this is what he's saying, if you believe Scripture and you believe hell is a reality, particularly the way the Bible describes hell, how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them? I thought from an atheist perspective, that's a very profound thought. That he was sitting there saying, as an atheist, I don't believe in God. But if you do, and you believe there's a reality of eternity separated from God in a place called hell, you would want to tell everybody you know about it. And if you don't, he relates that to hating someone. And I just thought that was a very profound statement <coughs> as an atheist. But you know, we live in a society that increasingly embraces the idea of a heaven. Maybe not heaven as revealed in Scripture, but the idea of there being something beyond 
this life is believed by a great majority of Americans. As a matter of fact, over 72% of Americans believe in some sort of heaven. Again, it, it may not be the heaven as described in Scripture, but they believe that there is a heaven. But only around 50% believe in a hell, with actually less than 30% aligning with what the Bible considers hell. I want you to think about that. Less than 30% of Americans believe in a biblical hell. Even in our Christian grouping, hell is becoming less and less believed as a reality. There, there are books out, this one came out several years ago, you may have heard it, called Love Wins by Rob Bell. And Rob Bell, um, if you were around the youth group in the mid-2000s, he, he was the author of those videos that youth groups watched. I can't remember the name of them offhand, but they were very popular. And he made his mark by being very bold, but when you would hear him teaching, he was edgy. Like he was getting close to the edge of being wrong. And you just kind of listen to it if you had any maturity at all, and you'd go, one of these days he's going to step over that line. And he did when he published a book called Love Wins. And in his book, Love Wins, his overwhelming emphasis is hell, as perceived in the Bible, doesn't exist, that that's the purpose for Jesus, and Jesus died for all sin, and so in the end, love wins out. There is no eternal hell. No one will spend eternity separated from God, because Jesus paid the penalty for all sin, whether or not you accept him or not. That's the emphasis of his book, Love Wins, by Rob Bell. I think those videos were called the NUMA videos. Some of you may remember those. But anyway, you've got books like that out there. But Scripture says that hell is a real place. And, and, and many people, according to Scripture, are going to end up there. And it doesn't matter that our culture is increasingly going away from the idea of a hell. It doesn't matter, that it does matter this, that the church is actually abandoning the theology of hell. And the reason why they abandon it is because it's not popular. And if you preach on hell, people won't want to come. But this, this idea, it doesn't really matter what they all teach and say. What matters is what Scripture teaches and says. And Scripture says that there is a place called hell. Now, why am I preaching on this today? <clears throat> because we are in a missions emphasis month. And I'm here to tell you, there are a lot of reasons why we should be about our mission. But if we truly grasp the realities of hell, there would be nothing in standing in our way to doing everything we can to accomplish our mission. The problem is, over the course of our lives, and because you don't hear this kind of preaching, is we forget that there is an eternity waiting for people who do not have Christ in their life and we need to understand what scripture says about this place because if we do understand it and we do grasp it we would want to tell everybody else about Jesus so they could 
avoid it. Because it is a horrible place, according to Scripture. As a matter of fact, Jesus, and we need to hear this, Jesus spent more time teaching on the topic of hell than he did teaching on the topic of heaven. Now, that doesn't mean heaven's not important. Heaven is important. Matter of fact, I'll just give you a preview. We're going to preach on heaven next week. Heaven's important, and we ought to preach on the realities of heaven, but we ought to preach on the realities of hell. Because the Scripture says that unless someone's in Christ, when they die, they will spend an eternity in a place called hell. And so this morning, I'm going to share with you several principles of Scripture, from Scripture, about this place of hell that we need to comprehend and understand. The first thing that I want you to understand about hell is I want you to understand the purpose of hell. The purpose of hell. The purpose of hell is actually found in Matthew uh, chapter 25, verses 41 and 46. And you don't have to turn there because we're going to spend most of our time in Luke chapter 16. But in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says this in verse 41 of Matthew chapter 25. Listen to what he says. <coughs> He says, then he will say to those on the left, he's been talking about separating the goats from the sheep, okay, the saved from the unsaved. And, and look at what he says. Then he will say to those on his left, which are the unsaved, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then down in verse 46, he comes back and says this, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal punishment life. The purpose of hell, the reason why hell exists, according to Jesus himself, was it, it exists for Satan and his angels or his followers. See, in, in scripture, the idea in the picture is, and we understand this from scripture, is Satan started out as an angel, as a created being. As a matter of fact, he was of the highest order of angels and he was uh, created with immense beauty with immense understanding and wisdom and knowledge uh, more so than any other created being he had but in that wisdom and in that knowledge formed the root of pride and what satan did he was he's called lucifer when he was in heaven uh, is he decided that he could do a better job being god than god could do and so he set out on a, on a task of trying to take the throne from God. This is talked about in the Old Testament. And what happened was, is him and he deceived about a third of the angels, which we have no idea how many that is. We just know it's a lot. Okay? But he deceived a third of the angels into following him. And there was a great battle that took place in heaven over the throne, which God won easily by the word of his mouth, and Satan and his demons were cast out of heaven, and they fell, and they became fallen angels. And hell was created for their punishment for trying to overthrow God on his throne. That's what Jesus says. Go, depart from me to the place created for Satan and his angels. That was the original purpose of hell. But when man fell, then man suffers the same fate as the fallen angels did. 
When Satan deceived Adam and Eve in the garden and they broke God's laws and they broke God's command, they became guilty of sin. And that sin has to be punished. And that's where those who are apart from God, the unrighteous, will spend eternities in this place that was originally created for Satan and his angels. It was prepared for them. But all men who choose to follow their self and follow evil and reject God shall also be sent to the same hell eternally as a punishment for their rebellion against God and their refusal to accept him as the king that he is and should be in their life. That was the original purpose, was to punish Satan and his angels. But then man fell. And man, because of sin, deserves death and deserves punishment. And so hell is for Satan and his angels and then for all unrighteous who do not have God in their life. So that, that's the purpose of hell. Now, let me tell you something else about hell. And that's the second thing this morning, and that is the permanence of hell. According to Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, and I just read it a second ago, let me read it again. Hell is permanent. It's not temporary. Listen to what he said. Matthew 25, verse 46. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The reality is, is after death, there are two eternities. There's eternal punishment, and there's eternal life. There is no temporary anything. When one dies, they will either spend eternity in punishment in hell <coughs> or they'll spend eternity with the righteous in heaven. That's it. Simply put, hell is eternal. Now, some would have you believe that hell isn't forever. There's some churches and some doctrines out there that teach a place called purgatory. And it's the idea that, well, if you're not fully atoned for when you die, you'll go to this place called purgatory, and you'll work your sin debt off, and when it's paid in full, then you get to go on in to heaven. Scripture doesn't talk about a place like that. Jesus simply says that the righteous will, will enter into eternal life, and the unrighteous will enter into eternal life punishment there is no middle ground there is no temporary place for you and i to work off our sin debt <coughs> so this idea that oh hell's not that big a deal because i won't have to stay there very long no if you're apart from christ you're going to stay there forever if you know someone who dies apart from christ they're going to spend forever in hell not just some time in hell not just a lifetime in hell not just 100 years in hell, not just 10,000 years in hell, not a million years in hell. They're going to spend eternity in hell. It's permanent. There is no do-overs. Paul said it like this, that it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And at the judgment, they will either be found guilty and sent to eternal punishment, or they'll be found not guilty Actually, they won't be found not guilty. They'll be found atoned for and sent to eternal life. That's the only two options. When I was a kid, I, I heard statements like, oh, well, you know, hell's not that bad and, 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 and 
all that, but uh, it, it really is worse than you can imagine. And it lasts forever. There's no ticket out. One of the most powerful experiences I ever had taking uh, evangelizing youth was taking them to an event called Judgment House. Because Judgment House, some people labeled it as a scare tactic. It's not a scare tactic, it's a reality check. Judgment House follows situations. One time it was a car wreck, one time it was a tornado, one time it was a, a shooting in a theater. And you follow these, and there's people that die in a judgment house. That's the purpose. They immediately go to the judgment seat of Christ. In every single case, there's at least one person in that grouping that's saved, and there's at least one person in that grouping that's lost. And at the judgment, they are separated. And from that, after they're separated, and it's kind of a drama, and you're watching it, but you get to follow it. You take a tour through hell. And it's awful, and it's just a drama. But there's no way out of it. In Luke 16, Jesus tells a story about a rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was poor, a beggar, and a rich man and Lazarus, and the rich man had everything he needed. Lazarus had nothing. And they both die. And Jesus, using this illustration, Lazarus... That the poor man goes into Abraham's bosom, which is another place for paradise or heaven. But the rich man goes to hell. And in Luke 16, they talk about so much stuff, but one of the things that Jesus talks about, and we're going to talk about it more in depth in a minute, was that the, the man was, the rich man was in such torment and agony that he's begging Abraham to allow Lazarus to just dip his finger in the water and touch his tongue. But in that context of that conversation, Abraham makes a stunning statement. He says, there is a great chasm that has been fixed so that those who, won't, so, so those who want to go from here to you cannot, and nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Once someone is in hell, they are there permanent. They cannot leave. No matter how much they want to, they can't leave because it's permanent. We, we live in a culture and a society that doesn't understand permanent anything. We live in a throwaway society. You buy something, you use it till it's done up, and then you just buy something else. You get married, you, you stay married until it's just not working out, and you just throw it away, and you marry someone else. And I'm not, this is not a message on divorce. I'm just trying to give you a picture of our culture. We don't understand permanence. Everything's do-over. We get do-overs this and do-over that, and when it comes to death and hell, there's no do-over. It's it, and it's permanent. And it doesn't matter how much someone screams and begs for mercy once they're there. It doesn't matter how many times they scream and beg for someone to dip their finger in water and quit, try to quench it. It doesn't matter how much they beg and scream and holler and everything else you can imagine that takes place in this place of torment. It won't 
change anything because hell's permanent. The third thing I want you to understand is the pain of hell. This is kind of coming back to what I said a minute ago. When I was a kid, I used to hear sayings like, oh, you know, hell's not that big a deal. That's where all my friends are. And so you can imagine when I get there, we're going to have this great big party. <clears throat> we're going to have a great time. Have you ever heard someone say that? Oh, we just have this big party and we get to hell. Hell's just a big, big fun place. That's where, you know, sin's fun. And so when we go there, hell's full of sin. We're just going to have a great time. We may not, people may not say that verbatim. But I have heard people say that hell's not that big a deal. It'll just be a big party. But Scripture paints a completely different picture of hell. Scripture paints a picture that's so bad, it, it should send shivers down our spine to even think about it. So how bad is the pain of hell? When in Luke 16, in the story of Lazarus and the rich man, Scripture points out several things that I want to read to you in Luke 16. If You don't have to stand with me, but Luke 16 Starting in verse 24, it says this. So he called to him, this is the rich man, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides, all of this between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. <coughs> he answered and said, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not have also have to come to this place of torment. Now, right there in that scripture, there are a few things that are painted for us about the reality or the pain of hell. Number one, it talks about it being a place of fire. A place of fire. It, we must remember, though, that the fire that we know is physical fire. There's no fire on this earth that lasts forever. It's physical. And a fire on this earth only lasts until the source burns out, whether or not it's wood or gas, or whatever it is that's burning. When it's gone, the fire will go out. So we don't comprehend, really, an eternal fire, but that's what this speaks of. Some kind of eternal fire that lasts forever. It's, it's, it, may be, it may be material, it may be a physical fire, but we got to remember that uh, it's their spiritual torment. So more than anything, it's a spiritual fire that is likened unto physical fire. And it never ends. Now, I know people that have been burned, and they say that one of the worst pains in the world is a fire or a burn, because there's no, there's no way to get away from the pain of it. There's nothing really that helps take the pain away. You ever, I burned my hand on an iron one time. It didn't matter what I put on it, it hurt. Cold water, it hurt. Vaseline, it hurt. It didn't matter. There was 
really nothing they could give me to take the pain away. Now, eventually that pain subsided. But hell talks about a place where the fire is so bad and the burning is so bad that it's forever. It's a pain you can never get away from. Unfortunately, in my lifetime, because of the situation with my sister, I spent some time in burn units in a hospital. And let me tell you, they are miserable places to be. People hurt. They can't get away from the fire, the burning sensation in those units. And that's nothing compared to the place called hell. Because the burning that happens in hell is forever. It'll never go away. You know the story of my sister. My sister was burned 70-something percent of her body when she was a baby. The pain from those burns subsided. She doesn't feel that pain anymore. These people will feel that pain forever. That's bad enough, but it gets worse. Not only is there fire in hell, it talks about a thirst that never ends. This man was so thirsty and in such agony that just the dip of Lazarus's finger in water, just a drop, <coughs> would have gave him just some relief that wasn't available. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been times when I've been thirsty and didn't think I was going to make it to a water fountain. And man, when I got to that water fountain, I couldn't get enough of it. And I was always, I was always the bad one in football because I'd get waterlogged. I'd wait to get something to drink until it was too late, and then I'd drink so much of it I'd get sick. These people in hell are tormented with so much fire and they're in so much agony that just one little drop would have done some good and they don't get that forever. Forever. So forever in fire, forever thirsty. Can you imagine that? And, and, and he kind of sums this up in chapter, in verse 24, when he kind of just says, I'm in agony in these flames. I'm in agony. That word agony in the original language means intense pain or anguish. It means a pain you can't get away from. That is what's hell like. That's what hell's like. Pure agony forever. Now, there's some other places in Scripture, and I'm going to talk about them in just a second that make it even worse than this, but I think Luke chapter 16, verse 26 kind of sums up all of it and maybe the worst of it. And that is in verse 26, he says this, that there's a chasm fixed and you can't come over here and we can't come over there and the separation difference is simple. There's a chasm fixed and they are now separated from God forever. From all that God is, from all the mercy that God has, all the love that God could show, which he revealed in Jesus, they are now separated from that forever. They are separated from all that is good, and they're separated to all that is bad. You see, the most amazing thing about heaven is not the streets of gold or the mansions or the walls of precious stones or any of that. The most amazing thing about heaven is the very presence of God. And these people are ever and always for eternity separated from that. 
Now, there's other things, too, and I don't have time to get into all these because I'm running out of time, but I want to mention them to you just so you'll know. That's bad enough. Fire, thirst, that, that's bad. But in Mark chapter 9, verse 48, it talks about hell being a place where their bodies are salted with worm. Yeah, worm. Let me read it for you. Mark chapter 9, verse 48, Jesus said, Better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Listen, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, most people, when they read that, and it says where their worm never dies, they don't pay attention to the word there. It's not T-H-E-R-E. It's T-H-E-I-R. Their worm. The people who are there. Their worm will never die. Well, what does a worm do? It gnaws. It eats at you. Now, whether or not that's a physical worm, literally gnawing on the people in hell, or whether or not it's a spiritual worm that is gnawing at them, maybe the memory of every chance they had to accept God and they rejected him, or the memory of, of all that was good and now that's lost, or or whether it's the memory of whatever, we don't know, but we know this. There's some kind of worm <coughs> that salts the bodies of those in hell. I'm telling you what, when I started reading that, I started to understand why some people would rather just be cremated. Because to me, there's nothing worse than thinking about worms crawling and eating at me physically. That, that, but if they go to hell, it doesn't matter if they're cremated or not. If they go to hell, their bodies will be salted with worm. Scripture also speaks in Matthew chapter 25 of it being a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word weeping there literally means loud grief, mourning, groaning, wailing, floods and floods of tears. It's not just crying, it's wailing. It's screaming. And then gnashing of teeth, grinding, biting in hostility and bitterness and indignation, spitefully snapping the teeth. This is actually where... The, all the pain and all the suffering and all the crying leads to anger and resentment <clears throat> against God forever. Scripture speaks of it being a place, and I didn't write the scripture down. Jesus also talks about it being a place of darkness, complete darkness. I've been in some dark places. Scripture speaks of a place so dark that you wouldn't be able to even see your hand if you put it right in front of your face. Hell is basically all the horrible things you can think of physically multiplied by eternity, for eternity. Scripture kind of sums this up in Revelation as it is the very presence of the wrath 
of Almighty God. That's why Scripture would tell us that it's, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. All the grace that God has given us in Jesus, when it's rejected, the only other option is his rage and his wrath. And hell is where that's poured out, undiluted, forever. Now, I don't know about you. It also talks about it being a place of no rest, meaning you can't get away from it. You can't rest from it. There's no, that's in Revelation chapter 14. All the effects of hell's punishment, it'll never stop forever. All the torment, all the agony, all the fire, all the worm, all the darkness, all the misery, all of that, you can't get away from it. There's no peace, there's no rest, only torment and horror, unbroken punishment and suffering forever and forever and ever and ever and ever. And I want you to know that if we grasp that even remotely, we'd want to tell somebody if that's where they were going. How much would you have to hate someone not to tell them? So what do you tell them? And that's the last thing this morning, is the pardon from hell. There's a pardon that's available in Jesus. G, uh, Chuck talked about it briefly. He quoted the scripture, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that it is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. As bad as hell is, God doesn't desire for any one of you in this room or anyone in this, anyone in this world to spend eternity there. Nobody. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He desires for people to have a relationship with him. So much so that he provided a way to have a relationship with him. We talked about this. But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ made a way to escape all the agony of hell. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says it like this, And he himself, talking about Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. Now that word propitiation is another word we don't hear about very often, but it simply means to be reconciled to God by appeasing his wrath. Jesus took your sin and my sin and he bore it on the cross of Calvary and God poured out his wrath on Jesus' sin has to be punished. And it will either be punished on the cross or it will be punished in hell, but it will be punished. And so he throws our sin on the cross of Christ and he pours it out, his wrath there, becoming the propitiation, the ability to be appeased. And Jesus has appeased the wrath of God and provided a way for us to be reconciled to him. Why? Because it's not his will that any should repair us, but that all should come to repentance. So he provided a way in Jesus, but man has to respond. <coughs> man has to respond. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Hell is real. People spend eternity there. It's a terrible place. Jesus provided a way of escape. He took your sins, he bore them on the cross. But you have to respond. You have to believe. 
You have to trust. Not in what you can do. Not in what you've done. In what Jesus did. Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 10. He says, For the, with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and, and confess with your mouth, or if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, For anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Man has to respond. Why do we need to talk about hell in relation to missions? Because if man doesn't respond, they will spend an eternity separated from God. How do they know they need to respond? Romans chapter 10. Paul didn't just say, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He says, how can they hear without a preacher? And how can a preacher go unless he's sent? We've been sent. Matthew chapter 28. Go into all the world making disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because hell is real. I heard it said like this by a pastor one time. He said, we need preachers that preach that hell's still real, it's still hot, and it still lasts forever. But there's a way out. That way out's Jesus. And if you'll trust in what Jesus did for you, then he becomes the propitiation for your sin, and you cross from an eternity, expected eternity of unrighteousness, hell, into an eternity with the righteous in heaven.